0: If you think you felt a great disturbance in the Force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the Secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're gonna love Trexperts Briefing Room, a Trekspert's new series. Briefing
1: room? What is that?
0: I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can <laughs> find it on the Inglorious Treksperts podcast feed and on the new Treksperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there.
2: If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: It's the 4.30 movie special report. <laughs> well, we probably didn't need to do that bullying an introduction because it's a rather sad day here at the 4.30 movie. Uh, as, as we speak, uh, it's just come to light that the great Dick Donner has passed away at 91 years old. And uh, we immediately uh,
1: threw away everything we had to do today. <laughs> so that we can record a special report and a tribute to the great Richard Donner? Um, um, we have to. I mean, he he uh, he was not only the uh, director of uh, so many uh, wonderful films from our youth uh, and uh, some great movies of our later uh, young adulthood, but he is also, he was the link to live TV. Yep. One of those yep. few directors who started in live TV and worked his way through the uh, you know late 50s and, and all the 60s and all the all the shows we all do the boxing. 60s before <laughs> no, we
0: get to all
1: that before we
0: get to that I I want to introduce you to your 4:30 uh, movie hosts uh, Mr Monday uh, Steve Melching <laughs> hi there uh, on Tuesday it's Darren Docterman
1: here in this fortress of and we will (laughs) learn together. (laughs) Wednesday, of course, is Ashley
0: Edward Miller. Mark, would you care to step outside? And on Thursday, it's the Antichrist,
2: Mark Altman. (laughs) Hey, uh, (laughs) can I redo mine? I meant to say, I'm getting too old for this shit (laughs) Yeah, let's go back Let's edit that back in Yeah, For
0: the first time (laughs) in the history of the podcast We'll do it all again
3: Um, We don't have to We'll just fly backwards ah. Around the world (laughs) Fly backwards around the
1: studio You're a funny guy
3: You know Am I, I got to tell you,
0: and I, I want Darren to, to speak to the the early career of of Dick Donner. Before we do that, I want to I want to say one of the things I loved about Richard Donner was in 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 an age in which people bit their lip and did what their publicists told them to do and say what their publicists told them to say. He was always outspoken. He always. Um, you always knew you are getting the unvarnished truth with him. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: I mean, if you watch those Superman documentaries where he's talking about what happened with Superman two and working with the Salkines, kinds, there's no, you know, um, he, 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 he's not at a loss for words. He's not thinking about the diplomatic way to put it. He doesn't dance around. (laughs) No, he doesn't. And I, I love that about him. He had that grovely, you know, no bullshit kind of voice. And it's really interesting because if you look at his career, um, you know he had a very long career before preparation meets opportunity and turns into success. And he never looked back at that point. But but let's talk about where it all began for Dick Donner, as as Darren talked about the early fifties.
1: Well, no, not the early fifties, but the the uh, the late fifties, and yeah, late 50s. one of his one of his first. Um, uh, first credits, at least on IMDb, is the Zane Grey Theater, which was, uh, I believe, a, a live, uh, a live on on kinescope show uh, that was made. Also, the uh, the June Allison show for Dupont, the Loretta Young show, all of these in the first years of the 1960s, when television was a baby, basically you know. Uh, uh, in its infancy, uh, yep. Absolutely, and uh, they were still figuring out how to do things. Now, uh, sure, uh, the some of the techniques for the filmed television were still those used by the motion picture industry, though they were sped up a lot, because even in those days, the schedules were very, very short, and they had to crank out episodes. Um, but uh, he did... He worked on tons of uh, at least well-known shows to us because we were sort of on that uh, uh, on the pivot of reruns and, you know, original shows.
0: Yeah, but before we get to those sort of iconic shows, I want to point out he worked on one of our favorite shows. Uh, he did a bunch of them, uh, which is Have Gone, Will Travel. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, when I was writing my book, The 50-Year Mission, the uh, oral history of Star Trek. I tried to get Dick Donner because I really wanted to do more on Gun Will <laughs> Travel, yeah. and I, I wasn't able to get him. And Ed Gross, who had interviewed him many, many times, wasn't able to get him. Um, and, of course, he also did two episodes of Lieutenant. Correct. I, I knew Gene very well. Yeah. Um, and I was I was disappointed not to get to, to speak to him. In fact, many years later, Bob Salon was trying to get him to do our Star Trek podcast and glorious Trexperts, and much to his uh, credit, he said no. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, really, you know, you don't talk to Dick Donner about you know Gene Roddenberry and his peripheral connection to Star Trek. You talk to Dick Donner about his movies.
1: <laughs> well, you know, one of the things we one of the things we love about him was his straightforwardness and non tolerance for bullshit, and that's what kept him off our show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so true so now of course as the 50s turn into the 60s he does as you alluded to work on some legendary shows that we grew up on
2: well you know well, I mean, let's not forget the episodes of bounty law that he directed with uh Cliff <laughs> Heath <and> rick dalton
0: <laughs> That's hey, <right>. true. speaking <laughs> of which did anyone did anyone read the novelization of once upon a time in hollywood yet yes yes no not yet uh, okay Is so bananas what, it's bananas yeah and i loved it fans of this podcast will love it in fact i said today on the twitter i said this is <laughs> the, the twitter, greatest the twitter this, this is the greatest <laughs> this is the greatest novelization since gene Roddenberry's star trek the motion picture because gene Roddenberry wrote the novelization of the movie he wanted <laughs> to see rather than the movie <laughs> that was made and in a way quentin sort of he does it. There's a, a very little of the actual movie in there. It actually explains all the stuff in the movie, yeah. that we didn't see, right? Which I loved. And then he indulges these long, drawn out uh,
1: side, like you know, <laughs> the Aldo Ray stuff is unbelievable with and, Cliff Booth. And you, and, you know and, what? It's, it's, it's dangerously close to painting a, a, a loving memory of Charlie Manson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be honest, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, it's just, just to, to warn people, um, it's uh, it's very interesting because it it does it does fill in the blanks a lot uh, about what's going on in the movie and what you know what was going on in real life. Maybe you know uh, to a point, but you know the the description of uh, of uh, you know the stuntman's uh, wife's death is freaking unbelievably amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. And all the bounty law stuff is terrific.
0: Yeah. And those are some of the best scenes in the movie, but he expands on them in a really interesting way. Now, it doesn't talk about the new humans or the fact that communicators are now in our heads, but um, it does talk about all the stuff on bounty law, and it has this very, it has this very sweet ending, which obviously I'm not going to give away here. Although I will say, the very ending of the book Really pissed me off because the last page it says soon to be a hardcover special edition with God. extended extended prose, and I'm like, I just ran out and read this book, yeah, and, and, and i just like, and the last page is like, but the hardcover version's coming out with even more in it. But and you I know like, what? Just, well, I there's got
1: to be deleted scenes. <laughs> gotta, deleted scenes you, in the book, Mark. You got to admire it. Because it kind of sounds like something you might do. That's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Darren, when you've got put it in like my- that. <laughs> <laughs> who am I to say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's, it's, it's a wonderful, easy, breezy read. Yeah. And, um I just loved it, and I loved it, and Cliff. I mean, obviously, the whole part at the beginning where Cliff Booth is talking about all his favorite foreign films—it's yeah. nuts. because Cliff Booth doesn't like foreign movies. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> but, but, but it—it—it's it, just so self-indulgent right. in a deliriously delightful way, and to any of our. Our, our listeners, including Stephen Ashley, I would uh, run Don't Walk to pick up the book because uh, you'll absolutely well, love it's, it.
2: It's, it's been on my wish list since, you know, for like a month. But I back in my head, I thought there's got to be a hardcover of this coming out. Like, why would he just release an $8 paperback mass market of this? So that As I was an kind homage
0: of to the novelizations. <laughs> and in fact, now that it's been announced, our good uh, friend uh, Stephen Scarlatta, who did uh, Joe Doroski's Dune and is the host of Best Movies Never Made is doing a documentary on movie novelizations. Uh, I, I mean, which is going to be fantastic. I was actually thinking we should do a show about that on 430 Movie because, um, you know, we, we, especially growing up before VHS, we devoured, uh, I, I, you know, novelizations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was just, uh, and, 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 you know, there's a real difference between a good novelization like an Alan Dean Foster book and just a perfunctory, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like James Kahn, who did like E.T. and Poltergeist, like where it's just like literally. Did Jimmy
3: Khan write those novels?
0: Yeah, it was Jimmy <laughs> Kahn. He wrote it at the God. toll booth. So, I, you know, it, <laughs> You know when you when you, somebody really expands upon the story and, and it goes much deeper and there are all these like scenes that you didn't see in the movie. Did you know there the, the
1: sex in Star Trek the motion picture? Yeah. Did you know yeah. that the that the Godfather had a novelization?
4: <laughs> Dude, crazy.
1: <laughs> you know it did. You know it did, which always cracks me up. Spy,
0: Love Me, and Moonraker had novelizations. Oh so they, it was. So in, they yeah. already had the Ian Fleming book, but then right. they came out with. Um, James Bond 007 in Moonraker, which is the novelization of the movie, and obviously James Bond 007 in The Spy Who Loved Me, which well, was those also books, a
3: novelization. Those, those books, the original novels, were so incredibly different from the oh, movies yes. that got made from them that it's, yeah. you can see like why they needed a novelization. The Spy Who Loved Me in particular was just mm-hmm. worlds apart. There's maybe one scene from that book that's in the uh, in the movie, and I think yeah. it's the opening.
0: Well, Well, if you want to know more about that,
2: you should pick up, nobody
0: does it better. The complete oral history of the James Bond <laughs> I Means
2: just want to say the, 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 the craziest, uh, uh, I found a movie novelization uh, in a hotel room once. Uh, it was the novelization to the greatest story ever told. I found it in the nightstand. Uh,
0: <laughs> that's funny, wow. Steve. Nobody, that's really funny. At the oh, Marion, it's amazing they had that. That's and funny. On the Book of Mormon.
2: You know. What anyway, else? Richard
5: Donner would have
2: dead. Would have, <laughs> Richard Donner would have totally directed episodes of Bounty Law.
1: He totally
5: Absolutely. Richard
2: Donner.
1: But in
5: well, the in meantime, time, what he
2: did what
1: have, he actually did direct are <laughs> a bunch of episodes of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of in, in the middle of the Twilight Zone run. Uh, and of course, the most famous one that he did was Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with William Shatner.
6: Here,
7: quickly! Yeah,
6: there's a man out
7: there. What? Look, look, he's crawling on. I'm <laughs> um,
6: sorry. sorry. It must have been the. bomb.
8: What is it? Oh, it's nothing, Mrs. Wilson. Can I get
6: you anything? A glass of water.
8: Surely. Is
6: something wrong? No, I, I thought I saw something out there. What? Nothing.
1: Um, which is, you know, obviously a, uh, a, an iconic portrayal and an iconic episode of an iconic show. Uh, but uh, and it's an iconic
0: actor. Well, and, and given the fact it was remade by George Miller for the Twilight Zone movie, movie, and as great as John Lithgow is And that, as much money as he had, and
1: better creature design,
0: the original is still better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even though it's a it's a dude wearing an, a literal rug, and I'm not talking about Shatner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, watch, it's watch yourself, boy. <laughs> I know, Bill. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's it's just amazing, and and the the depth of um, of Dick Donner's uh, ability to go from genre to genre it was unmatched. I mean, he you know perhaps second only to Robert Wise for being able to do so many genres extremely well. Richard Donner was a master at it. And and getting
2: the job done. I was just reading a tweet by Bill Shatner today about that episode of Twilight Zone where he said they had scheduled a four day shoot and they had to do it in two. Yeah, you know, Donner finally knocked that out
3: in two days. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, you guys can take your Twilight Zones and your Half Gun Will Travel and your classic television series, <laughs> but to me, my my experience with Dick Donner prior to. What I think we'll spend most of our time talking about was on the Banana Splits Adventure yep. Hour.
0: Yeah, yep, Danger yep. Island. Danger with Island. Oh <laughs> well, that, that really prepared. Come on, oh Chongo. <laughs> that, that prepared him to direct The
1: Omen. Clearly, absolutely. Yeah, clear right there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but just it, so many, amazing.
1: so many amazing, you know, TV shows from that time. He did, you know, three episodes of Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is completely unlike anything else that we sort of know, know him for. It's not a Western. It's not, it's not really a comedy. It's more like a farce, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's that just is it the word I thought you were going to say. <laughs> but, I know what you thought I yeah. was going to say. But look, it's. Uh, I love Gilligan's Island. And the tone that he helped set for that show is uh, unmatched. And he also did the episodes of
0: Get Smart. Absolutely, which yes. is uh, a terrific. Uh, um, you know, uh, also very. It's a very fine tone. It's a, you have to walk a certain line with that. Yeah, because it's 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 parody, but also at the same time, it commits to its own universe. Yeah. You know it, the the spy stories. You know, had to hold together, even though it was completely. You know, uh, it, that was the genius of Buck Henry and Mel Brooks on that on that show, obviously.
2: And then, and then he transitioned to doing, you know, uh, when cop shows came yeah. into vogue, he did Cannon and Ironside and
1: Kojak. Yeah, all these well, all these shows that that George Lucas bemoaned uh, for replacing, you know, mythology for kids. He said, uh, you know, uh, you know, now all kids have is Kojak. and and what good is that? Uh, I remember having Kojak when I was a kid. Well, because I mean, you, you were I don't way younger,
3: having him. Yeah, that's true. I do remember the lollipop thing. I thought that who was loves you, long. baby. Yeah, right. Um, and I, I do remember, remember the the cockatoo. That, uh, that what's his name? That right? was Beretta. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, I remember. <laughs> <it> in, <laughs> I remember. In foul don't play do the crime if you can't do the time, my friends. In Keep foul in the play, mind. the couple in the back of the car going, "Kojak, bang bang." <laughs> uh, He was a journeyman. That's the thing. That's Mm -hmm. what they used to call it. Like, like, you know, you, it's just directing people. It's like, it's, he he managed to set, like he told the story, he got what he needed to get. He knew what he needed to get. Like
1: like most of those early TV directors, they could do anything. They could be plugged into any genre, any sort of uh, episode, any TV series. And they, you know, they could turn on a dime. And they knew how to get the job done fast and efficient and still with, you know, slide in a little bit of style here and there. Well, you know, pejoratively,
0: uh, the directors of that era are referred to as traffic cops. Yeah. Because that's what TV TV directors were. They were getting a certain amount of money, a certain amount of time. They just had to get it done. And it's funny because uh, Dick Donner, who was very humble, would refer to himself throughout his career as a traffic cop. And um, Mel Gibson, you know, sort of said... You know, he would call himself a traffic cop, but he'd have a cop, but have anything but. The great directors, obviously. And and as you said, because he could so effortlessly move from genre to genre, he's not as famous as somebody like Spielberg or Hitchcock, you know, who sort of became known for certain kinds of genres. I mean, right. you know, Hitchcock became a household name because he was the master of suspense. And, and Donner could just effortlessly move from genre to genre. And I would say, even though today... I was, you know, saw it everywhere from CNN, the deadline to, you know, for most people, I don't think they know outside of the cinema world who Dick Donner is. Right. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact if he had been making superhero movies his whole career, people might know who he was. If he was making Lethal Weapons his whole career, he might know, people might know. But because he could go from a lady hawk. You know, to you know, the, the omen to Superman to Lady Hawk to you know, Timescape timeline time awfulness timeline uh, yeah. yeah, and okay. and um, you know, the Lethal Weapon movies and all these these different films, uh, you know, he can never be pigeonholed.
2: I think he it, you know, I, I it's it seems like he just did what interested him mm-hmm. at the time. He's like, yeah, I want to make this movie. I like it. I want to make it, and it's yeah. totally different from what I did last time.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting because if you look at the patronage system, you know, in the old days, like for Mozart and a lot of these classical composers or artists, how they they had a you know patron, a you know rich patron that would indulge you know everything that they did, and they would be able to do it because they had the patronage of rich people. You know, Kubrick had that with Warner Brothers. Interestingly. Dick Donner sort of had that with Warner Brothers for a long time, too. When he wanted to do Radio Flyer, they indulged it because he made so much money for them right. on other pictures. And, um, you know, he spent most of his career there. And that's one of the things I think that's going to be really sad going forward uh, with the way the studios are operating. Warner Brothers Discovery and a lot of these is that kind of patronage system where they would stick with a director... Whatever they wanted to do, because they knew even if you lost money on this one, you'd make us money on the next one. Well, to I
1: think be that's fair really gone away. To be fair, Warner's was pretty uh, alone in doing that. Uh, a lot of the other studios didn't uh, go that far to uh, be pay- patrons to their uh, directors. Uh, it was It was a little more difficult for other directors to sort of get that backing from a studio. But Warner Brothers was very good at doing that.
2: And that's they the great him. thing about walking around on the Warner lot. Like I have so many fond memories of wandering around like, oh, there's Joel Silver, there's silver pictures, Joel Silver's office. And right across from Dick Donner, you know, Lauren Schuler Donner productions. And there's Clint Eastwood's Malpaso productions. Yeah. And, you know, It's like all you can find all their, their offices, uh, their bungalows uh, scattered around the Warner lot.
0: Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I mean, Universal did it to a certain
1: extent and they did it in TV.
0: Yeah. Um, mostly
1: in TV because of their factory. And they just needed to know, crank out crappy shows.
2: But these yeah. but like, you know, Donner and, and Eastwood and, and Silver have you know have had those offices there for decades. Yeah. I mean they're mm-hmm. fixtures on the lot. And, and even you know, when they
0: stopped doing stuff on a regular basis, you know, to their credit, they would let a lot of these people keep their office and keep their development funds and things like that. They wouldn't be, you know, sort of shown the door, which is something now it's like if you're not producing, you're gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the only people that Paramount kept on the lot, and then eventually they did kick him off was Bob Evans. Right. You know, and he should have he should have been there
1: till the day he died. But that yeah. didn't happen. It's uh, you know, the whole industry has changed certainly over the last uh thirty years, but even in the last ten. Oh but yeah, you know. Shit, the last five. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean look, this streaming is uh you know, we've talked about this transformative in the last and and and, and the business is still you know, it's like an earthquake i think we've had four shocks and, and and the you know earthquake but you know the aftershocks are still going on it's
1: definitely it, sorting itself out
0: yeah 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 so anyway but so dick donner had this incredible career in television um and that would have been amazing enough but, uh, but, and then he starts doing some, you know, well-known M.O.W.'s. Right, Movies of the um, Week, for those who don't know what that is. M O S And then he, he goes to England to do uh, his first uh, big feature.
1: Called The Omen in 1976. Uh, but, no. But what? Sorry. are I just going to say, no. no, never mind. The, the feel-good movie of the
3: year? Yeah, right. yeah exactly.
5: <laughs> <laughs> for Generations... The Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife, Catherine, was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. (coughs) And then, it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence? Or was it an
4: omen? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you.
5: 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother.
4: I
8: saw its
5: mother. I have fears. I have fears. What kind of fears? Its mother, Mr. Thorne. So on my wife. Its mother.
8: What is it you're trying to say? His mother was a...
5: This is not a human child. Make no mistake. There are those who will die for him. there are those who will kill for him. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And can he be stopped? Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. If this is the truth, Where does it end?
1: Well, you know, if I want the Antichrist to show up, I want it to happen like that. It's all for you, Darren. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What a great,
0: you know, look. It's not. It's it's not great
1: art like Rosemary's Baby is, but it is a great pulp. It's great pulpy. It's great pulpy action. You you know.
3: it's super effective. It's In like pants. a really simple story, well-told, yeah. well-told. Uh, you know, it's just... And it holds up. And cut um, to the creepy kid. Yeah. Yep. That always <laughs> works,
0: man. And what elevates it, I think, besides obviously Jerry Goldsmith's Oscar award-winning score, right. are, you know, his cast, like Gregory Peck and uh, Lee Remick and, and David Warner. I mean, it, it really helps... Um, You know, make it not feel like a B movie. Right. And, you know, and, 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 you know, in terms of his approach, it's terrific. And all you have to do is watch Omen 2 to realize how great Omen 1 is. Right. Right. And, and, and how significant um, it it, it was um, in terms of what, you know, what
1: Dick Donner did that was really so special. Well, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is that, uh, because this was his you know first sort of big studio movie um, he was being tested and tried on this to see you know if they could use him more and he proved himself immensely with it because it was you know uh, it, it made a lot of money and it was it, it was widely uh, considered a, a an expert trip to the movies basically but um, so it's uh, it's it's really interesting that from all this you know cop shows and and comedies and and you know sitcoms and all that sort of TV stuff that he can sort of whip up this you know really pretty frightening intense movie you know basically out of thin air.
2: Yeah, I mean you know it might be considered you know an attempt to cash in on The Exorcist, but uh, he he made something that you know was unique in and of itself yeah. and, and very successful and, and created its own, you know, creepy mood in its own franchise.
3: Yeah, yeah. there and were a lot fun. of attempts to to, uh, to recreate what was going on with The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby. And The Omen is really the only one, I think, that stood the test of time at all.
0: And I think you, you wouldn't have an ending like that today. I don't think, no. you know, you'd have a movie in which, you know, Gregory Peck's trying to kill his own kid. <laughs> uh, uh, today and I have to I don't tell think you, you have
3: Gregory Peck in a movie today. No, no,
0: Nivella, that's for sure. Special but report. You might have Ethan Peck, but uh, but you know the, the other thing that uh, you know, if you need to see how brilliant Donner is, just watch the remake that Fox did a couple of years Ooh, ago, yeah. which was where they literally used the same script. It was kind of like what they did for Psycho. It wasn't shot for shot. But it was the same script. They didn't, you know, it wasn't like a, a remake where they wrote a new script. They pretty much used David Seltzer's script, um, you know, verbatim. For, and and it's it's unwatchable. Yeah.
1: Totally unwatchable.
0: Uh, you know, as opposed to uh, Donner's phenomenal um, version of The Omen. So uh, it's very instructive to watch them in a good side by side comparison. And Shop Factory did a very nice box set. Of all the Omen you ever need, it's Omen 1, and then it also says Omen 2, which is watchable. <laughs> Omen 3,
3: you know, which is what it is. It we has Sam Neill in it. It has Sam Neill. And the it gave Andy me Grace. a lot of really great jokes about the seven daggers of Megiddo um, when I start talking about my children. So <sighs> it, it gave me that. Okay. And uh, <laughs> that's terrifying. And, and terrifying. And, and I mean, it, it also
0: has... the the mow the uh the omen the awakening movie and i think it has the remake in it so uh, again a lot of movies you don't need it's kind of like that indiana jones collection that just came out but a few that are definitely worth having right Totally. um so i don't think i i
2: I was too young to see the uh, the omen when it came out uh so i i feel like my first exposure to it was on television probably an afternoon movie and uh it was
1: creepy as hell yeah even even in a small format it's effective
0: Oh yeah, I, that's how I saw it too. Nobody's taking me to see The Omen in 1976. <laughs> you know, I was I was not. Uh, I mean, I, I was seeing stuff like Logan's Run, right? You know, so uh, yeah, but, that was like The you Omen. Know, rated
3: no. T, but it had an
1: orgy in it. You know,
3: very misleading. So right?
1: so did the 70s, right? So. This, well, you
3: know what? Frozen had an orgy in it, so you know things haven't changed much.
1: Yeah, did
3: I see the wrong version of
1: that movie? I think you might have seen a different one. <laughs>
3: Mm. Really no, oh, okay So that's what Let It Go was about
1: <laughs> Oh so I if, if, okay. if we're ready to go there Let's talk yeah. about okay, <laughs> Oh, we're talk, definitely ready Ready to go there Let's talk about <laughs> the Salkines, uh Basically seeing The Omen And saying, well, maybe this guy Could do a big, big, giant Superhero movie
3: <laughs> Well, they said once. Maybe he'd thing. be
1: easy to work with <laughs> He'll be appreciative for the gig. Yeah. yeah. He'll do what we say. Yeah. He will be ours to control, like the Quiats <laughs> <laughs> <Mordyma. laughs> Um, And they hire him to uh, direct Superman. one and two. One and two, both together, together and
5: as one. My friends, I'm not given to wild unsupported statements. And I tell you that we must evacuate this planet immediately.
8: jor be
5: reasonable.
6: Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, and a greater capacity for good. moment that world was destroyed but there was one survivor
5: now wouldn't that be all get out
6: because of the wisdom and compassion of Jorel, because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness He sent us his only son. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. This year, Superman brings you the gift of flight. Superman, the movie.
1: Uh, and he, uh, he basically, he knew how to do it. He knew what the tone should be. He knew how to sort of uh, tell this mythic tale with the anchor of reality. And, uh, I think it's still arguably, uh, if not the best, one of the best superhero quote movies ever made. Um, It's funny because earlier Steve mentioned Telly Savalas, right? right. So when you
0: talk about Dick Donner knowing exactly what didn't work about that original script by Mario Buzo, it had scenes like Telly Savalas, literally Telly Telly Savalas showing up uh, and saying to Superman who loves you baby and offering him a lollipop and Donner's like, this is not Batman, this all needs to go and along with Tom Mankiewicz they rewrote the script and, 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 and made it what it is, which is an American immigrant story uh, yeah. and, and took a lot of the ridiculously over-the-top humor and, and jettisoned it and, and just kept the, hu- the, the, the right humor, you right. know, the real humor that came out of character, that came
1: out of yeah. story. Yeah, where, where, the, where the most goofy you get is seeing Rex Reed in a revolving door.
0: Yeah,
1: I <laughs> think <As> <laughs> Daily News.
0: Rex Reed, by the way, for you younger viewers, yeah. was well, the film critic at the New York Daily News where the Daily Planet filmed its scenes in New York. Although largely, most of the movie was filmed in uh, in the UK. In the there wasn't shooting it. Yeah, there was some the shooting in Kansas, UK. Yeah. Kansas, and and then also in in New York well, for the Daily Planet.
1: Well, they yeah they they were in uh, I think Alberta for Alberta, Alberta Canada right, for right, the right, yeah. Yeah, Kansas scenes. Uh,
2: yeah, speaking of Puzo, I had a, a film a film professor at USC who uh, worked with Mario Puzo and said that he was uh, he was a pain in the ass. Apparently, did not have nice things to say about him.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that, you know, uh, who can blame him? You know, he, he, wrote, he wrote a hugely uh, uh, successful novel that was turned into a hugely successful film that he co-wrote the screenplay for. So, you know, why wouldn't he be, uh, you know, full of himself and, uh, and uh, wanting to uh, expand his influence, um, especially when, you know, uh, the Salkinds were cow-cowing uh, were to him because they wanted the big name.
0: You know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, when they when they greenlit the movie, they didn't have Warner Bros. as a distributor yet, I believe. Right. And um they didn't have the money. Yeah. So they started hiring all these huge actors to try and you know do enough farm pre-sales to yeah. sell the movie. And that's why you get Marlon Brando and Susanna York and uh you know at the time you know Gene Hackman and um because they needed all these these huge stars in order to to sell enough foreign territories that they could make the film. But there was always cash flow problems on that movie. Yeah. And that was a problem because, you know, ultimately led to Dick Donner being fired, not because of the the job that he was doing, but uh,
1: they ran out of money. They ran out of money. And, and they couldn't make both films at the same time, <laughs> you know, as much as they tried. And they got a lot of the second one done. Donner got a lot of the second one done. Uh, but they just sort of uh, realized that they weren't going to be able to finish both so they had to knuckle down and just concentrate on the first one and release it and, you know, hope that the buzz would be enough to get money for the finishing the second one. And then when they had their chance, when it was a huge success,
0: they didn't bring it back to finish the yeah. second one because it was so much bad blood. They bring back Richard Lester, who they had worked with and who cowtailed to them on right. uh, Three Musketeers and Two Four years. Musketeers, with, which yep. they had the same plan on, the same cunning plan to shoot mm-hmm. at the same time. And... uh you know, it, it's it's really sad. I mean, and Gene Hackman talks about the fact he never met Richard Lester. Yeah. All the Gene Hackman Lex Luthor stuff was shot by Dick Donner, and yeah. he doesn't get a credit on Superman two. That's right.
1: That's right. And
0: then Richard Lester started reshooting a bunch of stuff just because he wanted the soul credit. <laughs> right. And, and 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 again that's why so much of Superman two is so silly, because yeah. it's the, the Richard Lester who did Hard Day's Night yeah. as opposed to the gritty kind of Richard Donner stuff that works
1: so well in Superman One. Now, to be fair, I like Superman Two, the Richard Lester version. I enjoy it. It's not. It's not perfect. It's not as. Uh, it's not as uh, realistic as Superman One, uh, but it is enjoyable. And uh, you know, the stuff that is a little more comic booky still kind of work within that within that structure, um, but it yeah. is a little bit wanky. Wankier when I was a kid, I loved Superman look, 2 up and down,
3: man. Like, <laughs> so did I, as a kid, yeah, yeah, as a kid, I love Superman. I like Superman 2 more than
0: Superman 1 as a kid. Mm-hmm. I've been <laughs> uh working out, <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I think if you look at that fight scene uh outside the Daily Planet, it's terrible, and it's not because of the special effects, it's just not well shot, and you. Yet- and
3: yet, terrible yet awesome. But the, the you know, the,
0: if I, I lo- look, I really, I rewatched the Donner cut of Superman two recently, and 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 I have to sit. No, see, Darren's shaking his head. I just think it's it's superior in so many ways. Other than the fact that you lose that wonderful line, uh, General Care to step outside. Um, you know, instead it's like, uh, don't you believe in freedom of the press, which is a terrible line. But that's all the stuff about it in Niagara Falls so much better than the Donner cut
8: I never thought my cut would see the light of day and maybe rightly so you know the picture came out it was what it was it wasn't the original director's cut but it was a fellow I forget his name on purpose who took over it was 25 years ago and then one day Michael Thal called me and said listen there really is a internet movement afoot that they want to see your cut, I said. I wouldn't know where to start. He said, "Well, I'd love to do it." I said, "Hey, all the people, you're the right guy. Go do it." And then he told me the studio was cooperating and that they were going to do it. And there was, a, and it was exciting to me. I, I kind of forgot it, and when it, I realized it was really going to happen, it was,
7: yeah, very quite anticipatory. Reconstructing this film is not only rare, but it's probably unique in film history. I don't think there is a film that had so much footage shot and not used. And the opportunity of putting this back together is the best job I could ever have in my life. Superman 1 and 2 were shot simultaneously, not back to back. And Dick was working off of a enormous script. And so when they were in the Daily Planet set, Donner shot out all the scenes from Superman 1, and then shut out scenes from Superman 2, So think about just keeping track of continuity between the two films that are not sequels, but a part one and part two of the same story.
8: When I look at it now, I like it. I'm a little embarrassed by things, but I have to take myself back 25 years and see it, why I did it then and how I did it then, not knowing what I know now.
7: Dick shot most of his shooting script for Superman 2 before they had to stop shooting Superman 2 so they could make the release date on Superman One. So Lester had most of a film to start out with. And also, uh, they didn't want to include Marlon Brando um, for financial reasons. So Richard Lester needed to rewrite the Brando stuff. They also probably looked at the cut that Stuart had put together of Superman 2 and decided to change certain things for whatever reason. When I got started on this, I didn't know what to expect, but I wanted to,
8: to see that old footage.
1: Well, it's like somewhere I, the, in there is the, the problem, is the right
8: version of the movie. The
1: problem is that Donner didn't get to shoot the you know the hotel stuff uh, for real. Yeah, uh, it's, so it's we the we tests. basically get the screen tests in in the Donner cut, which I think isn't as good, and uh, obviously it would have gotten better. Um, but oh, I, I, I think, it's, I think it's, it's so much it's better. Too, it's too it's too up and down for me. Uh, it, it's very it's very inconsistent, and it's not it's not his fault. I think it has a little bit to do with the editing on it, but uh, I, I just I just can't go there. I I, no, I was very I, disappointed I with the Donner cut. It's I, so uh, much well. more
0: interesting. I think it's so much more interesting. It's so um, much uh, a, a grittier and, and more realistic. And that scene in particular, it, it, it makes a lot more sense. You know, that she, she it makes Lois Lane look smart using blanks and the gun. Now, of course, they don't have the footage, so the scene's never going to be what it can be. But yeah. the scene on the page is fantastic. And it's conveying what was on the page, which was inspired. You know, I think the fact that they had to use, you know, of course they had to use the screen test, but you know, that's what they had to work with. Um, I, I, I really like the Donner cut. Uh, I, I prefer it. All right. So anyway, <laughs> anyway. so, but, but, but look, we, I think we got to again, talk about, this is a movie that was transformative. Yeah, uh, we got to remember what superhero movies were and TV was like it was Legends of the Superheroes on CBS. It was uh, <laughs> Captain America with Red Red Brown. Yeah, um, this was what superheroes were. And it, you know, as much as we love it, it was Batman sixty six, right? Which yeah. was now this was, you was you know, an
3: epochal movie. It like it, it totally redefined what that genre is. And 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 for the for the longest time, mm-hmm. like it seemed like you would not be able to to pull that trick off again. Um, I mean, it was, it sort of stood alone. In fact, it didn't seem like even Superman movies could repeat the trick of,
1: uh, no. of Superman and I mean, the movie. It, And they didn't.
2: Yeah, they did not. I, yeah, I don't think Superman's ever been done better on film since this is the, by far the best interpretation of Superman on, on the big screen for my money. And, and Superman doesn't even appear in the movie until what, about the 45 minute mark? Yeah. We it's don't not even, even close.
0: Man, Man of Steel is a joke. <laughs> I mean, they don't get what, what the appeal of Superman is. I mean, Dick Donner fundamentally... It's the same way Hart Bennett knew what Star Trek was, even though he wasn't a Star Trek fan, right? You know, he understood from watching it. And Dick Donner fundamentally understood what Superman is. And... Um, uh, You know, that was what was so great about it. And that's why people keep paying homage to it. And even when Superman returns, as much of a misfire as that is in so many ways, you know, went back. And the fact that he cast Christopher Reeve when they wanted to cast Robert Redford and all these ridiculous ideas, you know, that he found Christopher Reeve. He instinctively knew exactly who Superman and Clark Kent was. Yeah.
2: And Superman, I think, in my opinion, Superman is a fairy tale for children that's aspirational. And, and and positive and um I, 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 this this the idea of trying to take all the stuff we loved as children and make it adult and meaning dark and violent and, and stuff is is feels really wrong-headed a lot of the time it's, it's like we don't want to accept the fact that we've grown up or you know that we've that the stuff we loved as children you know isn't I don't know. What am I trying
1: it's, to say? It's, well, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the feeling that the people making the new movies are embarrassed about liking Superman.
2: Yeah.
1: And they feel that it's, it's uh, downgrading if you enjoy something that you enjoyed as a kid. And the fact that they can't, they can't quite get that balance of having something there for kids, yet something that adults would, would uh, enjoy as well. Um, it's it's a children's story, but like, you're not—you're not
2: insulting a child. You're not—you're not insulting a kid's intelligence. You're, yeah. you're not talking down to them. Or the adults. Well, like this. Yeah.
3: Well, I, I I both agree and completely disagree. Here's where I agree. <laughs> I, I do think that um, that there is, uh, I think, a, a lack of balance is probably the, the right way of, of saying it. I think kind of on the other side of that, that balance was never achieved again, kind of in the other direction. Um, you know, I I don't know that Superman 3 or Superman 4 were necessarily, uh, you know, uh, moves like in a, in a better direction. But I do think it's, it's like we were just talking about Superman 2. When we were kids, we really loved Superman 2. It's like for the same reason why I like, you know, you guys I know still love Batman 66. But like when I was a kid, I thought Batman 66 was really awesome and dark and scary because I didn't freaking get it. Like, so... What you're talking about, I don't think it's about being embarrassed. I I think it's about accessing the way that, that something made you feel about a thing when you were a certain age because it reached you in a certain way and you still want it to reach you in that way. And I I think that's the difference. But you look at the first 45 minutes of Superman the movie, it's frankly, I think the best 45 minutes of any superhero movie ever produced. It's easily the best 45 minutes of Superman, any iteration ever produced. I think the movie that follows after that in Metropolis is largely kind of silly, but those first 45 minutes are amazing, right? No, Um, I disagree. Okay, I think up cool. until the, the the helicopter rescue, that movie is pitch perfect. Yeah. Okay. You know what, I agree. I'm with you. Actually, I'm with you. Like up until the helicopter rescue. And I think it's like once we're kind of past that, like it's a little it, it mm-hmm. loses its way
1: a little bit. It
3: loses that emotional grounding. But I don't think that that well, saying it, that something it could
1: just, be it just turns into a different movie. It turns into it the does. it turns into the Lex Luthor movie. After that, it turns into a movie that that people think is for kids, right? Right, as
3: opposed to the movie that is like, oh, like I, I get what this is like, and I can be passionate about this. It's like it starts winking at itself, and I think that's the problem. And there's a, there is somewhere a a happy medium between fucking winking at everything and things having no weight, and things having to be dark all the damn time. And I don't know if that's about adulthood or childhood. I just think that's about good storytelling, Ashley. You want to see a long arm? What is like a really a long, long arm? arm? <laughs> uh, is but, but, uh, is I, this I, the porn I, version? Because I uh,
0: no. I, I, look, here's the thing: I, I where I disagree with what you disagree with us. <laughs> it's not. It's not about how we felt about this as ch- children. I think you can go dark with Batman because Batman psychologically right, is true. fundamentally a dark character. His Superman parents were is not. killed. Superman is the immigrant story. It's a guy who avoids this this genocide, his, his entire planet being obliterated, and is sent to Earth where he can redeem himself by doing good. But the immigrant who comes and who, who who makes something of himself and is able to accomplish all these great things for the good of humanity. That's why Superman four is kind of flawed, because obviously it goes too far. I'm going to get rid of all nuclear weapons, right? Because there's a fine line with Superman that you can't cross. That's why it's so hard, why people have struggled with this character so many times, because it's very hard to find that nuance. Whereas, you know, Batman... You can't go too dark. You can do the killing joke. You can do, uh, you know, because it's just he's a dark, fucked-up protagonist, right? But I think with Superman, you can't do that. So when you have him snapping Zod's neck, I mean, it's like, really?
2: There's a a fundamental goodness and decentness and earnestness to Superman. Mm That's fundamental to who he is as a character. Yeah. And turning him into some angst-ridden, you know... Character just—he's just not
1: just a man of steel physically. He's a man of steel emotionally as well. He just wants to be Except, normal. wise. we Clark just Kent.
3: finished saying that the best forty-five minutes was the opening forty-five minutes. Was like, and that, like, what made that sing. Was, was that conflict that existed inside of Clark Kent. Like, what Donner brought out, like, of all of those actors, that family kind of struggling with that thing. And you knew that this was but a good kid. He's not, Superman,
2: it, yet. He's this not is Superman, Superman yet. He's becoming Superman in that 45 minutes.
3: But actually, but if we he also, grows into a character who, also, who no longer has, like, any internal conflict over anything, then he's not a character anymore. And he, we're not really telling a story anymore. We're no, just watching he things does. happen.
1: He, he does have conflict, but the conflict is to keep doing his best while not endangering people around him.
3: Sure. I mean, and, and that's not me saying that it's like, I, you know, I think he should be out
1: doing what Batman Look, does. That's not it at all. The, yeah. you know, the, I think that, the first 45 like, minutes are great, but that moment when he flies up and catches the helicopter in Lois Lane is the most uh, lump in your throat moment ever. It, it brings all this joy and all this hope and all this um, fun together in one moment. Well, a lot of that you is know John what else? Williams. That was a
3: bad outfit.
1: <laughs> it was. You know, most of it is John Williams, but it also is the images and the way it's yeah. put together and the and the pacing and how it, what builds, up. it out of builds up the tension. And, yeah. It builds up the tension and then releases it in a marvelous denouement moment. So. Mm-hmm. And then when he flies off and stops all these other crimes, yeah, you know, yeah, which, yeah. well, which they, is, he, he is flies funny. off and goes into a Kojak movie, and he goes off into <laughs> you know uh, into these you know various sort of twists on the genre uh, that sort of dances around uh, how you handle a superhero movie.
0: Yeah. Anyway, well, look, I think we can all agree Richard Donner's Superman is a masterpiece. Superman's pretty good. Way. I think we can agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it paved the way for um, what superhero movies would become. Yeah. and uh, you know obviously it was a huge influence on I think Kevin feige clearly it was a huge uh, influence on Brian singer um it was it was a big a big,
3: a big influence on all of us
0: yeah. so um so you know, I'm curious when you were writing
3: X-men first class if you ever talked about uh, Superman yeah you know it's um it's it's interesting I mean it, the, sort of not telling tales out of school but but there was something very interesting that, that he said about having this this feeling like watching a, a cut of the movie and going, oh God, I, I made the wrong movie. Um, that, you know, that you can have so much love and reverence for, um, for a film that when you're attempting to pay homage, you accidentally end up doing karaoke. Right. And I, I think ultimately that was the problem with Superman Returns. There's, I think there's a lot of great stuff in Superman Returns. Mm -hmm. um you know I, i love the audacity of a lot of it i love like i love the idea of the kid i love the reveal of the kid i love the fact that like the way that you learn the kid has powers is because he shoves that piano across the yacht to protect his mom like i love that right um but i think it's also uh problematic that um uh oh god why the hell am i blanking he was in sonic the hedgehog james Marsden. Uh, you know, Cyclops, like that he was the most heroic character, period like yeah. in that film, which I find fascinating, um because he was the one who kind of put everything out on the line but um but yeah it's just it's it's interesting, right, the way that we we treat these things that we we love from our childhood, and again, take it, bringing it back to Dick Donner, the fact that he didn't have a dog in the hunt. Right. And whether it was like this reverence for Superman as a character or for a particular set of films, um, he wasn't kissing ass to the Salkinds because he didn't owe them anything, that he was just making the best damn movie um, that he thought that he could make. Like that just shows through, um, you know, in in every frame of that film, even the frames I don't like quite as much. You know, it's like, let's put it let's put it this way. The thing that's genius about Richard Donner's Superman is not that you will believe a man can fly. The, The thing that's genius about it is that you will watch a man fly backwards around the planet to make time reverse itself. And you'll think it's fine. You just won't care. It'll, it'll work. Right. It's like, you'll let him get away with it. That's what makes Superman a great movie. Because frankly, like I'm trying to imagine reshooting that movie, like reshooting that script word for word and trying to pull that off. Never, never, but somehow it works. Well, it's time to feed the babies. So before
0: we move on from Superman, I just want to ask Darren, you know, I think one of the things that's extraordinary is also the way he dealt with actors. Actors love Dick Donner. And when you think about the big personalities that he had to navigate on that movie, you had Marlon Brando who wanted to play the role as a suitcase. (laughs) <laughs> um and 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 literally just to oh, a voiceover uh, <laughs> after being paid millions of dollars to play uh, the role of Jarrell yep. and then and then you have gene
1: hackman who decided that lex luthor should have a mustache oh my god and- <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories uh gene hackman of course had been uh you know star in a couple of big big movies uh the uh, french connection and uh and uh hell there was another one, in the early seventies. Anyway, um, but his conversation, yeah. But his trademark was his mustache, right? Or at least he thought it was. Um, and he said, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna shave my mustache. Why would I do that?" Um, and so Richard Donner um, had a meeting with him, and he said, "Look, trust me. If you if you come to set." With your mustache shaved, I will shave mine off too. And Hackman said, You feel that strongly about it? And he said, I absolutely do. So on the on the day they, you know, show up on stage, Hackman shows up, his mustache is shaved, and, and he says, All right, now you promised you were gonna you were gonna shave yours off too. And so Donner goes. And removes his fake mustache that he had gone into the meeting with, uh, and he completely tricked him. And, and uh, apparently Hackman laughed and said, "You son of a bitch!" But uh, uh, he got him to do it. And that's—it's just one of these things that Donner was great at dealing with people and actors, uh, and they aren't always the same. Uh, so you <laughs> know, it's—it's it's a, a fascinating, a fascinating story like from dolphin a movie that is filled with fascinating stories. Day of the Dolphin. That was Day of the
4: <laughs> Um,
0: well, Yeah, it's a fabulous story. So, of course, um, post Superman, he continues to just have a string of of, of huge hits. Uh, obviously, uh, The Goonies is a beloved picture from the eighties, um, uh, fondly remembered by many kids. Our good friend Sarah Watson just shot a, a pilot about the making of that film. I wish he had. Uh, uh, which I, I wish had gotten picked up because I'm sure it would have been fascinating.
5: Yeah. Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies. A Richard Donner film. <laughs>
4: hey, Mike the map. Whoa, you guys realize what we could do? I don't want to go on any more of your crazy Goonie adventures.
5: Meet Mikey.
4: I gotta go fast.
5: Brand. Andy.
4: Shame, shame. Come on, friend. Slipper the tongue. That's disgusting. No, I can't even look. Mouth. I right, gotcha. Now Get out from behind there. You're ruining the painting. Your You're part. ruining my job.
5: Stephanie. Data.
4: Bodybaiter. Ow. Guys, isn't it Andy?
5: And Chunk.
4: Slot. Thanks, James, Chunk.
5: They call themselves the Goonies. They've stumbled onto a legend. But they're not alone.
4: Chunk, I hope that was your stomach. No. That's the it. Sounds
5: like Kong. Discover what they uncover.
4: Those rubies and, and emeralds and diamonds?
5: The lost map.
4: Whoa! We started the tunnel.
5: The secret caves.
4: Hey, Mikey! You can hear me. Run! Run! They're coming after you. Just
6: The hidden clues.
4: Mikey!
5: The treacherous traps.
8: just like that last prank about all those little creatures that multiply when you throw water on them. Take the oath. They're
4: here. They're
5: here. Join the adventure as Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies, a Richard Donner film.
0: Why is Goonies so popular? Because it's a pretty goofy film. It's awesome. That's why.
3: Because it's a great Goonie adventure. That's why. Goonies it's never a, it's, say a, die. it's a
2: great uh, sort of... Uh... Try when you're a kid, it's it's like a, it's a great wish fulfillment movie mm. for kids of a certain age. And yeah. I was a little too old for it, I was mm-hmm. 17 when it came out and mm-hmm. saw it opening weekend and was sorely disappointed by it, even though you know I had my own group of Goonie friends when I was a few years younger. And we went everywhere on our bicycles and wanted to get into adventures, so it seemed like the perfect movie, but it's it's pretty damn goofy. It was, I was a little too old for it, but
3: think yeah. about it this way it's Thanos. Goes on an adventure with Samwise Gamgee and Short Round. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's so It's, it's
0: so only, funny, in though, <laughs> only in retrospect, though, Ashley. Only in retrospect. Steve,
1: Steve.
0: It's so funny, Steve, because I'm completely sympathetic with you, which in no way denigrates Goonies. I was a little too old at that point yeah, for Goonies. Me too. and On paper, it should have been my favorite movie. And That's I watched exactly it again right. recently with my kids, and I really enjoyed it a lot more than I think I ever did before. Um... But I understand why people love it.
2: It's very well made, you know. I mean, it just wasn't for us. We were the wrong target. It was made for Ashley. It wasn't made for yeah, that's us. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. enjoyable. I enjoy watching it and you know, I like the the Cindy Lauper song and, and all that stuff. It's fun. Yeah, it's a fun I won't, movie. I, won't I go that love far, lo- but yes. The the location work. Uh, I love the location where they shot it. It's gorgeous.
3: Hey, you guys. <laughs> Sloth is awesome. Sloth pulls off it. He opens up his uh, his his shirt. He's got like the Superman shirt underneath. I mean, Donner is self-referential in there.
2: Yeah.
3: The bad outfit.
2: Yeah. And, um,
3: <laughs> the and one then, of course, really... you know, I have an embarrassing admission
0: to make. That's I actually it. prefer uh, Lethal Weapon 2 to Lethal Weapon. So do I. You know
3: what? I think you're right.
2: Diplomatic um, immunity. Just been revoked.
8: <laughs> <laughs> he pulls the house off a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Who is it? Police, open up. How
4: do I know you're
8: the police? After I shoot you through the door, you can examine the bullet. Open up.
6: Mel Gibson. Danny Glover.
8: Come on, let's go, run Oh, no, oh, we shut up. No, let's go. go. Come on, Rod. Rod, Don't be a killjoy. Come
4: on, we're back.
8: We're bad. You're, bad. you're black. I'm mad. Come on, man. Hey, 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 listen.
4: If we're going, shouldn't I have a gun?
6: No. 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 Get ready for something lethal. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation and sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> because the magic Gun! is
4: back. Gun, got the <laughs> Are you all right now?
6: Yeah, I'm okay. Where were you, man? you my partner what? Why
8: didn't you follow me down? Yeah, Why did not you follow
4: down? Shut up! I'm seven floors up!
6: Lethal weapon too. You go first, I'm really
5: chill for this. You go first, I'll cover you. <laughs> me, me, me.
4: Good police work,
6: officer. Come on. No. Back to my place. Hey, I'll even cook. You're lucky. I have to live with that. You're not gonna make
8: it. I'm gonna make it. You know, there's not enough room. You were right, you know. Yeah, there, there wasn't enough room.
6: Lethal Weapon 2. This time, they're not taking any crap.
8: Please <sighs> get off me, man. I don't want anybody to see us like that. <sighs> it's
0: awesome it's it's awesome and Joss Ackland is so
3: great yep. as the as the villain in that um yeah I, it's just fun i think uh you know what's going on in that movie um is that Donner i think was more confident with what he wanted to make right. in that mm-hmm. film um yeah. than uh, than he was initially on, on lethal weapon i still you know i'm trying to it's like the holy grail to me is uh getting my hands on uh, Shane Black's original draft from that, for that film, which is I know is, is yeah, which I know is quite different. I think it had a different title, and for some reason I'm blanking on it right now. Um, but you know, the, but the thing about *Lethal Weapon* too is it set a pattern for the other *Lethal Weapon* movies that made them increasingly bad, mm-hmm. like um, because they they became obsessed with holding on to characters or perpetuating right. characters who had no yeah. business. Like yeah, yeah. being in those films, like Lethal Weapon 3, they're back. They're bad. It sucked. I'm mad. You know, it's- <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that was the story of the 80s. Everything was always yeah. frozen in amber. If yeah. something worked, just do it exactly the same. another 48 hours. Just do it again. Exactly the same way. Beverly Hills Cop 2, do it the same way. It was the same thing with Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon Three, it's like, oh, we're gonna keep Leo Getz around and Rene mm-hmm. Russo and we're just gonna do it again in Lethal Weapon Four. And they mm-hmm. just get progressively worse and worse. But Lethal Weapon 2 is 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 so much fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I I the totally agree cool. with you. You know,
3: and, and they, they have great chemistry. I mean, Mel Gibson and then and, and Danny Glover have great chemistry together. Yeah. By the way, what's cool about I mean, maybe I'm misremembering of this, I don't think I am, that uh the, the Lethal Weapon Two wasn't greenlit based on Lethal Weapon's box office. That it was greenlit based on uh, Lethal Weapon's performance on home video. Hmm. I think because that's true. It, yeah, like box office wise, it wasn't a big hit, but on well. home video, it was a monster. Yeah, it was twenty four of its of its time. Yeah, I, I didn't love it because you know I, I, Mitchell Ryan didn't
0: scare me because I kept thinking that's Riker's dad. He's not <laughs> Mister. <laughs> What was his name? Mr. Oh,
3: this is all we have left.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm like, what's Riker's dad doing? So, uh, He's going to have a fight with him. But, uh, with, with jumper cables or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: but, I always um, think of the first one as starring Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, and a saxophone.
0: Because it was Eric Eric Clapton and Michael Kamen. And yeah, I mean, it was an interesting score, too. I mean, and speaking of interesting scores, let's talk about another movie that people love that I'm not a fan of Lady Hawk.
5: He was a pickpocket. Who thought that anything was better than prison? Little did he know what he'd escaped from wasn't half as strange or frightening as what he'd stumbled into.
4: I do not believe what I believe, Lord. These are magical, unexplainable matters. And I beg you not to make me a part of them.
5: The knight who had saved him wanted only two things. To free his lover and to take his revenge. I have waited almost two years for a sign from God.
4: Sir, the truth is I talk to God all the time.
5: And no offense, but he never mentioned you. The pickpocket was the key to his plan. But would you send a thief to guard your treasure? He was the last one in the world to act like a hero. It just happened by itself. And he was drawn into a magical, romantic adventure. Matthew Broderick. Michelle Pfeiffer. Rutger Hauer. Lady
3: Hawk. Yeah, yeah, you're wrong. Uh, but <laughs> I love that movie. I love that wow. movie. Wow. And in f- fact, um, if uh, if I if I you know you know need to uh, need to make my wife feel happy about life, the universe, and everything, like Lady Hawk is generally like a winner to pop wow. in there. Um, You know, I don't know that it's like one of the greatest action movies ever made, or I don't know that it's like one of the the greatest fantasy movies ever made by any stretch of the imagination. But it's incredibly charming. Um, And Rector Hauer is awesome. Um, Matthew Broderick, not so much. Matthew Broderick, maybe not so much, but Rector Hauer, come
0: on. And that score.
3: Yes. Oh my God, the score.
0: Uh, I mean, I just, I know they were trying to do something different by putting a contemporary score in, but there's a reason you don't score fantasy movies with a contemporary score. Actually, I, mean, could I you, love
1: that score. Yeah. I, I mean, love that score. We know. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> why not? The, the title like, of this episode is Ashley loves about 33% more than we do about Richard Donner's <laughs> <Darnie's> movies. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Lady Hawk is the one I have a complicated relationship with. because I was uh, you know, I was deep in my Dungeons and Dragons phase. I was excited to see you know a fantasy medieval style movie, and there was a like a pre-screening of it in my in the nearest city, for like a free screening for some reason. So I carpooled down there with my high school friends, and i was sitting in the theater, the big theater where I had seen, you know, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and and Return of the Jedi, and and then suddenly I see walking to get, take her seat down front, is the girl I had a huge crush on with another dude from another sure. school. Yeah. Oh, so The no. whole movie, I'm like, oh, who is she with? She has a boyfriend. She's from with Rutger Hauer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so bummed. I couldn't watch the movie again until last year it was the first time i watched wow. Lady ox since wow, 1985. That was, <laughs> that was, that was
0: traumatizing. That's a lot of pain.
3: It was. Do you, do like, you, need, a, do you need a hug?
0: <laughs> it's like the kids say today, you were triggered.
3: I was triggered. Yes. You needed a safe space.
0: <laughs> yeah. So wow, um, Steve, you retreated
3: to Star Trek episodes or something where you would yeah. never find girls.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ain't that the truth? So um, wow. Okay. So yeah. So Ashley, what else do you love? <laughs> time. 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 Band. That timeline. Time. Time. No.
2: Scrooge. Oh, Scrooge
3: no. was a.
0: Scrooge is, is pretty uh, fun. You're
2: right.
3: Scrooge is great. I
2: love Bill Scrooge Murray is, is a great performance. Is uh, you know, his version of Scrooge? It's, it's a amazing. great adaptation of uh, Christmas
1: Carol
0: mm-hmm.
1: with Fine. Bill Murray. Super fun. And let's talk about Radio Flyer. Oh, why? Just because it's a it's a fascinating experiment. Okay. Okay. Um, it's uh, you know obviously so is less- I, I know I know some people <laughs> who are incredibly moved and and uh, and affected by this story. Uh, and uh you know there's something there it, it's it's not for me but uh, i think you know it is handled uh sort of very uh very well very deftly and uh it's uh, it's a complicated it's a complicated story to tell you know uh yeah. child abuse is not the uh, it's not a fun topic ashley no matter how <laughs> much funny. it goes through your head uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, Dick Donner, as you said, so many different genres, Yeah. so much success in his career. He also was a producer on many films. Um, uh,
2: the Lost Boys is a pre- mm-hmm. producer on The Lost Boys, another iconic yep. 80s movie.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, directed by uh, Joel Schumacher mm-hmm, that, right. uh, that Donner
3: produced. And that movie uh, almost convinced I mean, me that uh that, that Batman Forever was gonna be cool.
1: And that one also started <laughs> oh, I... a saxophone, Steve. Yes.
3: <laughs> and
2: we got to see the man behind the sax. <laughs> the sweaty, sweaty man. muscular sax man. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the Lost Boys. Like I, 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 I liked Lost it when Boys. it came out, and then I went yeah. through a period where I'm like yeah, I don't like the Lost Boys, but like, no, oh, I love fun. it. I watch it every year. Yeah.
3: It's totally fun. It's
2: great cast. Yeah. Yeah. it's like it's fun. So The fun Lost movie.
3: Boys and Near Dark would yes. be a great
2: double feature. I think Near Dark is finally coming to Blu-ray by the way. Oh praise is god.
0: god. Near Dark is on Blu-ray. It's coming to 4K. Oh, 4K. Near Dark, a uh, Near Dark well, out. Print, I think. Well, I have it.
2: I, have, I have it. it. It's, it's an, like, it's like, an yeah. import or something, no, is It's it? a Sha-
0: Shaw Factory. No, Shaw Factory right. put it out years ago. But now yeah. it's being released in 4K. Nice. Which is great. Because Near Dark is great. Unlike Lost Boys which is okay. <laughs> well, I've never understood the, lo- the 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 love for Lost Boys. It's
2: um, just a super entertaining, f- just a fun vampire movie. It's Shane Elmo's problem.
3: fire with vampires. <laughs> it's the problem with Santa Clara. All the damn <laughs> all vampires.
0: vampires. You know, that was another movie that I thought I was going to love. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This sort of postmodern vampire movie and all, you know, all these cool people. and The, and, 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 and the well and, and, you know, Kiefer and, and, and Jamie Getz, Kier. who was like in yeah. everything. Her, in yeah. And and, and Gert, you're you're like
3: you're (laughs) confused Bernie Bernie
0: Gets. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I was
3: Bernie once. Bernie Gets.
0: I thought it was going to be, you know, I mean, I forgive her for Solar Babies, but it was. uh, I I thought it was going to be better than it was, but uh, but I understand people love it. I have it on Blu-ray. One day I'll watch it again. Maybe I'll like it more. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway just, just a, honor it's a wonderful one 91
1: old. years old a wonderful career a, a wonderful eye a wonderful uh sense of uh, storytelling. two of them <laughs> thank you we gotta finish the show we gotta finish <laughs> we gotta the finish
0: show finish. i can't listen to ashley anymore <laughs> <laughs> we've got to stop it <laughs> before he kills again um but uh I'm really glad we were able to do this tribute to the great Dick Donner. I, you know, there was talk of him doing another movie. He had plenty of films in development. There was hope that he would do Lethal Weapon Five one day. Uh, obviously, that never came to pass. Um, but uh, look, he's somebody that we revere, and you know, and, and and in this business, to have a career as long as he had and still have people like you and speak well of you is a real testament to his uh integrity and, and class and and uh he will definitely be missed
1: Absolutely.
0: so uh yes. he, he uh he taught us uh that there's a man on the wing of the plane <laughs> that you believe a man can fly on the wing of a and plane they'll, and they'll always <laughs> f you at the drive-thru <laughs> true true True, true words were never <laughs> which spoken, which we
2: quote on an almost uh, monthly basis around here. FS at the drive-through.
0: So anyway, uh, I want to thank you, gentlemen, Darren Docterman, Steve Melching, Ashley—not so much uh, Ashley oh, Miller. Same. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's only because he moved away. I'm, I'm taking out my my pain and my anguish. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, if you're a fan of the 4:30 movie. You may want to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I don't know what we've been doing right lately, but the listenership continues to uh, to go up. Uh, I, I love seeing that. So uh, keep keep listening. Keep telling your friends to listen to Four Thirty Movie. Um, there are a lot of movie podcasts out there, but we don't charge for ours. So right. uh, you, you're we're just free. Yeah. we're free, and um, and you should check us the money out. The for
3: nothing.
1: <laughs> the chicks are for free,
0: and. Yeah. Um, and then you should also um, check us out on Electric Now, where you can download the free Electric Now streaming app and watch us uh, on Electric Now. Electric Now is the home of episodes of Leverage, um, the librarians, and of course, uh, really exciting stuff. They just added a bunch of old Looney Tune classic cartoons like Betty Boop, as well as um, Flash, Flash Gordon, Gordon serials. I know, which is
1: so cool. No, I'm neither. so excited. No, not um, that one. I know, but I want to sing it anyway.
0: There's some really cool things happening at Electric Now, (laughs) so you should check that out. And, um, of course, uh, you should listen to our sister podcast, Glorious Trexpers, where we just did a fascinating deep dive into Gene Roddenberry's and the studio's notes for Star Trek III, which has been apparently more controversial than I thought. I don't know if you saw. Somebody said that they're not going to listen to the podcast until we finish because they were so offended that we would... In any way besmirch Star Trek Three, no. which I, right. I, don't under, I don't understand. I'm really interested in people who have opinions that are different, right? Uh-huh. You know, I mean, aren't you? Don't you? Wouldn't it be boring if everybody just agreed with us all the time? Absolutely. Right? That's why, why we have here. Ashley. That's what
1: I yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So, but this person can't even can't even uh, uh, you know hates the thought that 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 we would in any way. We don't even dis. I, I think we made a big point of saying. We kind of like think Star Trek Three is goofy fun, but isn't this interesting to see what the studio and what Gene yeah. had to say? They can't even handle that.
3: No, they the, can't the even purpose of that, that was not to bash Star Trek Three. What I find most interesting about it is like the, that there is no way that we could win with those episodes yeah. because either it's like just take take me for example. It's either oh well, thank God you know Ashley is is sort of defending Star Trek Three or you know, Ashley is, you know, is, uh, is beating up on Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> I, I, I found
0: it, I, you know, I find it fascinating. You know, I, I look, I, it's just, it's so interesting, um, the disparity of, 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 of opinions, because I think those are two spectacular shows um, and really, really interesting. But I'm just so fascinated that someone would feel, and I'm sure this is true of other people, that, well, if they're going to disagree with me, I'm not interested in hearing, and it isn't even us. It's Gene Roddenberry, really. So we're just uh, they, reporting. They they would be so aw- horrified that they wouldn't even want to listen. I would think they'd want to see how their opinions stack up against ours. Like in all seriousness, like I I'm fascinated by hearing you know Ashley talk about Lady Hawk and why he loves it. Yeah, like that's interesting to me because I want to find um, out I- why. Because maybe I'm missing something.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, you know, and I mean, honestly, I probably will go watch the lost boys again after hearing you guys extol its virtues. Was I missing something? It would be the first time I went back to a movie I didn't like or love and, and, and really liked it a lot more the second time or the eighth time or whatever. So, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by the fact that people would be so
3: set in their ways that they have no interest in hearing. I mean, it's the same thing that's happening in politics. Well remember exactly it's it's Twitter right it's it's yeah on Twitter it's you're finding people who are triggered by anything that exists outside of their validation bubble right so anything that you say that does not can fit and will be used against you yeah exactly so th- those are the kinds of responses that we're gonna get I-, I think that for the most part the vast majority of the listenership was, Sitting around listening, going, wow, that's really interesting that yeah. he said that. And it's really interesting that it maybe meant this or that. And, but the, the people who are going to respond are, are responding because something got activated.
1: Yeah. The fringe are the loudest always. So
0: my, always. my, my favorite is when they say,
3: well, I'm not going to
0: listen to the podcast until this is over. And it's like, like as though somehow we're all going to tremble in fear right. that we won't have that download this week. <laughs> what are we going to do? How will we survive? i I, I, I just, just like, that's the great thing. I, I've always said about us not charging for the podcast and not doing Patreon. Yeah. We don't have to entertain you. Right. We just have to entertain ourselves. If three people <laughs> listen to it, it's fine. It's right.
2: just a conversation. It's a conversation we would have anyway. Correct. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and then, and then they say, oh, well, that's awfully arrogant. I don't think so. <laughs> But
1: that's just... And you know what? Don't listen. That's fine. (laughs) There's plenty
3: of other stuff out there. That's right. Plenty Plenty of other (laughs) people to listen
0: to. I'm amazed. (laughs) I read an article today about this um, Joe Rogan who I've never listened to. Man, people love that guy.
1: I've listened to him. I think he's fun. I
0: I, got to listen to that because I've been reading about it for a long time. But there was a big article, I guess, in the New York Times. And it's just like... um, I'm just curious. It sounds like sort of... The current, am I right in saying it's like the Howard Stern of today?
1: Like, not it, exactly. It is, I mean, uh, Howard Stern has you know been good at uh, doing interviews, but I think Joe Rogan is is naturally very curious about all sorts of points of view, mm-hmm. and he brings in a lot of sort of divergent uh, opinions and uh, and thoughts about stuff, and it's very interesting. Uh, well, so, he's uh, not on the Electric Surge network, uh, electric <laughs> right? Now, but I'm yeah. just curious. He has the, plenty of listeners already. Yeah, he, he has. Downloads. Right. <laughs> His downloads are doing okay. <laughs> doing pretty good.
4: Anyway, yeah, yeah, but yeah, uh, okay.
1: It's 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 interesting, and much like we try to do, we try to bring in uh, opinions about stuff to talk about because it's fun. Yeah,
2: and I like, okay. and I, you know, I think we like to hear feedback from our listeners. Like, I'm sure we're going to get an earful about you know the Goonies. <laughs> You know, like Probably. why people like that. Oh, yeah, you I, know that's we totally will. fine. Like, yeah. I want to hear it. I, You
3: know, I don't want to, you know, it's just the movie wasn't oh, made for Twitter me. All my Twitter sock puppets are going to be here. Yeah. Ass. <laughs> no, And of course, uh,
0: Steve, that's a perfect uh, segue. Uh, if you want to uh, um, talk about things you've heard on the podcast, you can visit us on Twitter at 430 Movie Pod our podcast for the podcast also on Instagram, where we have a wonderfully curated feed of uh, stuff by Patrick Macias doing a great job. And of course on Facebook, you can also visit the 430 movie page we recently posted all the picks for the last four seasons. Wow. It's already out of date, but you can check out all our picks for the last four seasons. Um, and of course uh, this podcast wouldn't exist without the hard work of our sound engineer, uh, the great Bill Ritter, uh, his young apprentice, <laughs> um, Mark Rivera, who is just our number one fan and has done such a great job. We're so appreciative to Mark for all his hard work. And, of course, our producer, Natalie Mescali our associate producer, Peter Holstrom, and Zach Raggetts, and um, our, our video producer, um, Dylan Middlebrook. You guys are all fantastic. Uh, Ashley, you don't have to go to the bathroom. I can keep going, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard. I didn't realize the last time that I was rambling on, and you had to go to the. I was dying. Code yellow, I had no idea. I, I missed that in the chat, and Hello I'm just alert. going on oblivious to the fact that Ashley is like about I'm about to... to go all Tycho Brahe in the middle of the podcast, and you know, look like alien or something. So um, <laughs> a- a- anyway, we're we're very appreciative to our friends at Electric uh, Entertainment make the show possible, and of course, all of you who listen, despite us having. A uh, view that opinions. might be somewhat different Than your having opinions Yes indeed So um, anyway uh, Until next week where we'll be doing I'm going to share a secret with you Next week's episode Don't do it right Don't tell him Should I tell him what next week is
1: Go ahead tell him Tell him, tell him Jim. Jim
0: Tell him Jim Summer movies Next week
4: time. Join us with living's easy
0: <laughs> Um or maybe it's just about summer loving. <laughs> it happens so summer fast. Loving. All right. Or maybe it's about Corvette summer. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. We'll find out when you join us next Friday for an all new episode of the 430 movie. Until then, Eyewitness News starts now. <laughs>